Good afternoon and welcome to Midday Magazine for Wednesday, April 26th. I'm Shelby Herbert. Petersburg's Borough Assembly met on Monday to review the proposed annual budget. Altogether, they're looking at a $1.5 million increase over last year. A million of that is earmarked for Petersburg's schools. The school district is asking for a budget increase of a million dollars to offset a major shortfall from last year and to ensure Petersburg's schools can continue regular programming. At the work session, city manager Steve Giesbrecht said, this is a challenging year for budgeting. That's because the borough's insurance rates are rising across the board. We have insurance costs across the board, so health insurance, property, casualty, liability, all of those are going up. We still don't know final numbers, for example, on property and health care. Giesbrecht named inflation and staffing challenges as other significant stressors. He said the good news for the borough's budget is that its sales tax revenue is improving. It's risen by about a million dollars since 2020. The borough is also looking at adjusting their budget for community services. The Mountain View Food The Mountain View Food Service Program is a meal delivery service for Petersburg's elderly and homebound individuals. The meal delivery business is seeing an increased demand for meals and a loss of grant funding. So they're requesting the borough quadruple its current budget of $10,500. The borough is considering doubling the program's budget instead, landing on $25,000. Aaron Hankins is the Director of Fire and Emergency Services for the borough. He vouched for the importance of the food service program in the community, saying... It's not just about the food. He said his department receives a lot of calls for help from meal delivery staff who discover their homebound clients in poor health. We have actually been finding more people sick around town in pretty bad states, like they need to go to the hospital, and it's the food people who are finding and calling us. The budget proposal also accounts for several major public infrastructure projects. It would replace three failing water mains around town and repair facilities in Petersburg's South Harbor. The borough is planning on paying for the $1.5 million budget increase with money from this year's windfall from property and sales taxes. It'll also pull $1.1 million from its Secure Rural Schools Fund. The Assembly is scheduled to vote on the proposed budget in the next three regular meetings. The budget will have its final reading on June 5th. Bristol Bay had an astounding 77 million salmon return between the region's nine most bountiful rivers last year. Over 60 million sockeye were harvested, more than double the 20-year average. While huge salmon returns are great for a sustainable run, that supply could prove a problem for processors. As Brian Venois reports, marketing agencies are working to sell the frozen salmon before last year's harvests affects this year's prices. Tav Amu started his fishing career in the 90s and now captains his own drift boat. He says the 2021 season set high expectations when last year's forecast was announced, but he just wasn't in the right place at the right time for the big bursts. I was expecting to be kind of overflowing with fish all the time, which it wasn't. I I didn't have my biggest single day or biggest single set or anything last year. Amu says although he missed some of the larger pushes of salmon, his boat still had its best season yet. 
it was consistent, but not super high any given day. So probably different than what you'd expect from the highest run. Last year, the fleet was paid about a dollar fifteen cents per pound, a bit less than they did the year before. But with a record harvest of over sixty million sockeye, a lot of fishers like Amu are wondering if that huge supply is still lingering in warehouses. That could affect their paychecks this year. The Bristol Bay Regional Seafood Development Association is a fleet-funded marketing association with a direct focus on Bristol Bay salmon. BBRSDA's marketing director, Lilani Dunn, says members of the fleet have shared concerns about prices both directly to staff and during member comment periods in their board meetings. You know, there's always going to be concern with an excess inventory because it typically will affect ex-vessel prices. Ex-vessel price is the dollar value of commercial harvest before it gets processed. Dunn says the Marketing Association is working especially close with the Alaska Seafood Marketing Institute to sell as much frozen stock as possible. ASME's research shows inflation is another concern. Most Americans are concerned about saving money at the grocery store, so they're working to help consumers save money on salmon. Megan Ryder is ASME's domestic marketing director. Ryder says ASME is working with coupon agencies to stir demand among new customers. Consumers are responding to inflation by prioritizing value options, taking advantage of shopping promotions, and especially turning to coupons. As we expected, about 12% of folks who receive coupons to redeem them, but Ryder says so far they've been selling double that mark. Maybe they're a little bit more inclined to put some wild Alaska sockeye salmon in their cart because they have this coupon so they can... You know, it just makes the the path to purchase a little bit easier and the choice a little bit more compelling. Increasing and stirring demand in the face of a massive supply is a classic way to balance markets, but there are a lot of factors that go into how much fishers are paid. Gunnar Knapp was an economics professor at the University of Alaska Anchorage for over 35 years. Knapp says despite marketing efforts, another large harvest this year could push prices for Bristol Bay sockeye down. If we come in and we get another larger-than-expected harvest that could be great from a fishing point of view, but bad from a a market point of view and and bad from a pricing point of view. Knapp also points out it's expensive to hold that much fish in freezers and warehouses, so processors might have to cut costs in other ways. But he says there's no way to know what processors will pay this summer. Knapp says it's normal for sockeye prices to vary by about 10 to 15 cents season to season, but it's too early to guess how much it'll change this year. Amu says regardless of the price, fishers like him have to commit to the season long before they know what their checks will look like. The downside of it is that we don't know the price until after we've already done the planning and preparing and everything, right? While it is there in the back of the mind, it's not as forefront as you might think. The forecast for the 2023 Bristol Bay salmon run is 51 million sockeye, but that could range as high as 65 million fish. Amu says all he can do for now is to continue hoping for a decent price and to keep up with the big pushes of sockeye this year. In Kodiak, I'm Brian Venois. A Sitka woman has been sentenced to seven years in prison for manslaughter. 37-year-old Triska C. has been awaiting trial for the last three years. And this winter, agreed to a plea deal for her involvement in a 2019 car accident at the Sitka Ferry Terminal that claimed one man's life. Her sentencing was held Monday in Juneau. Catherine Rose reports in Sitka. In February of 2020, Triska C. was indicted on murder and manslaughter charges following a drunk driving accident at the Sitka Ferry Terminal three months earlier. 
59-year-old Thomas Fuller died in the accident. He was unable to escape from the vehicle after it plunged down an embankment and into the water in Stargavin Bay. C was allegedly in the driver's seat, but initially there was some uncertainty around the circumstances that led to the car ending up in the water and conflicting information from statements. COVID also slowed the legal proceedings with multiple hearings rescheduled in 2021, and a witness who was also in the vehicle when it crashed passed away before the case could go to trial. In December of last year, prosecution dismissed the murder and assault charges against C, and she pleaded guilty to manslaughter, DUI, and possession. She agreed to a 14-year sentence with seven years suspended, seven to serve, and probation. State Prosecutor Amy Finsky felt the terms of the plea deal were fair. There were contradictory statements, essentially, as to what, whether this was simply Miss C got out of the vehicle to smoke marijuana again. She's operating a vehicle while extremely intoxicated. Should not have been doing that. None of them should have been out at the ferry terminal. And whether she simply forgot to put the car in park or whether it was something more nefarious, the weight of the evidence is that this is more of a manslaughter situation than a murder situation. And I I think that this resolution is absolutely appropriate. Two of Thomas Fuller's family members spoke at the hearing. His sister, Bridget Fuller, described him as the baby of the family, a commercial fisherman with a fun-loving disposition. His daughter, Carly, described him as her best friend and said she felt robbed of a future with him. I'll never be able to ask him you know, questions. I'll never be able to ask him for his advice to him. He'll never be able to when walk me down the aisle. No amount of time, you know, replaces my dad. So it doesn't matter what kind of sentence, you know, you give her. It doesn't matter. It, it, it can't replace it. The, the life that, you know, and the, you know, the loved one that we have lost. C attended the sentencing hearing remotely from Highland Mountain Correctional Center. After the fuller spoke, she read a short statement apologizing to the victims and their families. I would like to sincerely apologize to Tom Fuller and Tracy Green for the unfortunate, unexpected incident. I'm taking full responsibility and accountability to the best of my knowledge. I would also like to apologize to the family of my victims. I'm standing here today asking for your forgiveness. Judge Trevor Stevens lamented what he called a horrible situation and said that regardless of whether C had been charged with murder or manslaughter, no amount of time served would be commensurate with the loss of Thomas Fuller's life. You know, I mentioned that the family is going to have lifelong consequences because of the loss of their loved one, and I'm I'm pretty sure that Mr. Fuller is not going to be far from your mind the rest of your life, too. And uh, it sounds like he was a friend of yours, and you'll have the opportunity, hopefully, for the next several decades to show him and to show your family and the community that um, you've learned from this. Judge Stevens also recommended C participate in a substance abuse treatment program while serving out the remainder of her sentence. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Catherine Rose. Alaska Native language experts shared their personal stories at the state capitol last Friday. They were there to give an update on the Alaska Native Language Preservation and Advisory Council.
As Rhonda McBride reports, they also hope to inspire those at the highest levels of government to support indigenous languages. Dr. Walkie Charles told a gathering of lawmakers and their staffers that at the age of 12, he was taken away from his home in Amonic and sent to a boarding school. He said his mother only spoke the Yupik language, or Yukton, and didn't understand what happened to him. My mother just recently, she died nine years ago, finally told me that every time she heard a plane approaching to our village, that once a week, she was hoping I would be in that plane returning home, but I never did. Charles said he was also ripped away from his heart language and didn't reconnect to it until he was in college. Two years ago, Charles became the first native director of the Alaska Native Language Center at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. Yayuk Bernadette Alvana Stimfel, an Inupiaq language leader, recalled what she felt as a child. I could remember being a non-English speaker at five years old making us to sing this song, I'm a little teapot, short and stout. In my five-year-old Inupiaq mind, I say, I am not a teapot. (laughs) So Alaska for a long time had been on a path of decided elimination of indigenous languages. There there was intention, there was purpose, there was a a well-orchestrated attack on our peoples. Kune Lance Twitchell told the group that there are 23 Alaska Native languages, and a few of those are no longer spoken. We don't like the word extinct. We prefer dormant because we've seen languages come back. Kune says with only 30 fluent speakers of Tlingit, it hasn't been easy to rescue his language, but it is possible. Imagine if you could, if the English language went three generations without creating a single new speaker. Then imagine if you could watching a child sit down at a table full of elders who could then speak to that child and that child understands them. Kune says those elders had lived through a 70-year gap without hearing any new speakers of their language. We didn't tell her to. Uh, She just went and sat with the, the elders. And they were laughing and they were, I could just see the sparkle in their eyes to see a child who can understand them. In his work as head of the native language program at the University of Alaska Southeast, Hune has helped to create a new generation of Flinket speakers. He says those who work at the state capitol also have an important part to play. Everybody who works in this building for the people that when you walk through those doors every day, maybe you could just give yourself an affirmation. And that affirmation is this. No language dies on my watch. No language dies on my watch. And the legislature definitely bears some responsibility in this because back in 2012, it created the Language Preservation Council that Hune now chairs. In Anchorage, I'm Rhonda McBride. KFSK is celebrating National Poetry Month by sharing poetry readings each weekday. Today's poetry reading features Alec McMurrin. Hi, this is Alec McMurrin. I'm thinking of Dennis Spurl, the family man, the fisherman, and the author. Dennis Spurl was a great fisher poet, a man of many fish and a man of many words. 
In that spirit of Fisher Poetry, I want to share a work written and performed by John Broderick and Jay Speakman. I think John and Jay and Dennis and the rest of the Fisher Poets would approve. And the title of this poem is, Everybody's Going to Miss Fish Sometime. Everybody's going to miss fish sometimes. Everybody's gear's been in the wheel. Everybody's scratched his head, wondering why the engine's dead. Everybody's had the short end of a deal. Everybody's going to miss fish sometimes. Everybody sometimes goes aground. Everybody's anchor drags. Everybody's missed a jag. Everybody's got a friend who's drowned. But if you can make it back with your faculties intact, sometimes it's been a good trip after all. You've got no broom up in your mast, but at least you saved your ass, though you lost your wheelhouse windows in that squall. Everybody's going to miss fish sometimes. Everybody's skiff has somewhere swamped. Everybody's been corked or pinched, caught their shirt tail in the winch. Everybody's finished seasons, thin and gaunt. Everybody's going to miss fish sometimes. Everybody's trashed a net out in the rip. And when everybody gets back home to the loved ones that he's known, everybody's had a pretty good trip. I hope you've enjoyed that. And to Dennis and everybody, have a good trip. These poetry readings are a production of KFSK, presented throughout the month of April. The readings are aired at approximately 8.08 a.m. and 12.30 p.m. You can listen to many poetry readings on our website, kfsk.org.